Apple presents events at the Apple Store. All right, please welcome this evening's guest moderator, Eric Cohn. Hi guys, how's it going? It's so great to see this kind of a crowd out here for the conversation we're going to be having because I feel like anybody who's serious about movies, period, is serious about the Maisels Brothers. And In Transit is the last film that was directed, co-directed by Albert Maisels, one of the great pioneers of what people call direct cinema, cinema verite, uh, and there were actually several other directors involved in this project that took place over a very long period of time. So we're going to have them here to talk about sort of the production history and some of the ideas in the film and how it came together. On a personal note, I was at the screening for the, the premiere a couple nights back, and, and I can tell you that this is a really terrific send-off to the Maisel's legacy and also a way to continue it uh, through a new generation of filmmakers. So we're going to bring them out in just a minute. But first, let's take a look at the trailer for In Transit. When I got my ticket, nobody at work knew I was fixing to just pack up all my stuff and leave. I'm serious. I just grabbed all my stuff, got my check, went and got the ticket, and got on the train. Wow. Aren't you scared? I think sometimes, I think on the way home I, during this trip, I've wondered about what I'm doing and where, where I'm going with this. Why am I out here? And maybe like I don't want to die without having a good look at the world. I came from Seattle where I'd been visiting my daughter that I hadn't seen for 47 years. I'm going back to Indiana where there's really no work just to be with her. I'm a dreamer. I always got my head in the clouds. I've always believed that you know we're all taking our own journeys and where it leads you often leads you to you know people you're supposed to meet. If you heed that call that's in your heart and in your gut, you'll find out what you're supposed to do. I guess I'm gonna cross country to find myself. I don't really want to get off the train. Please join me in welcoming the co-directors of In Transit, Lynn True, Nelson Walker, David Usai, and Ben Wu. Welcome, guys. So the last credit on the trailer we just watched includes all your names next to this very famous one, as we were just talking about. Um, so the obvious starting point for a conversation about this movie is, you know, anybody who's seen Albert Maisel speak over the years probably encountered at some point moments where he would refer to this project. This was something that had been gestating for a while. When did the four of you get involved and sort of become, you know, as much a part of the project as, as he was? Well, yeah, I mean, Albert has been thinking about making a film on trains for decades, and he's told everyone I think he's ever met in those past few decades about the project, so I think a lot of people are very familiar with the idea. 
Um, but at the same time, he was never really consistently working on an actual film over the course of that time. It was just sort of an idea he had ruminating. And then about a year and a half ago, some pieces started falling into place in terms of funding and access to Amtrak that uh, made it seem like, oh, we could actually get this project going. And so Nelson and I are documentary filmmakers that have known Albert for a while, and we make films in a similar style, direct cinema style. And so Albert asked us to come on and collaborate with him. And then Nelson and I knew Ben and David, who are filmmakers, friends of ours. And because the train is such a dynamic space, we knew we needed a really robust team of filmmakers to partner and be able to cover the, the train, um, you know, actually working pretty independently. I mean, if you see the film, we cover certain characters simultaneously. So there's a, a camera person on the platform following a person leaving the train while another camera person is actually watching from the window of the train. So you get these different angles. And, you know, because it's such a kind of risky space to um, capture these moments on the fly, you, know, you really only get one shot, you know, that was uh, a big reason why we needed to build out a, a really solid team of, of filmmakers. Now, when you say that Albert had this idea for decades, that's one thing, but putting it into action is another. So, you know, I can see running rampant on trains with cameras being maybe the start of an idea for a movie, but the next step is turning it into something that's about something real, which this movie certainly is in terms of the kinds of voices you hear from. But as all of you were on these trains with cameras looking for stories, you know, what was the through line that you were thinking about? The through line for for well, what we, the movie, sort of what you wanted the movie to focus on. Well, we, we, we talked a lot before we even got on the train about ideas and kind of thinking about what we might in, encounter. And, you know, there were several research trips done before we got on the trains with cameras. So there was a lot of planning and sort of, you know, initial conversations about how we might approach this and different scenarios and contingencies. But the guys can talk, yeah, more specifically about how that came to be. I mean, I, th I think a lot of it was the themes that we talked about in the beginning. Um, before we headed out, and after a few of those scouting trips, realizing there's certain universal themes that, that kept coming up. Uh, things about family, that was a really popular topic for people. Um, a lot of people wanting to start over. Um, economic, um, being hit hard by economics of living in this country, I feel like that came up a lot. And then another one that was uh, as a subtext, but it was an important one in the film, was uh, we would travel through North Dakota and Williston, and that's a you know big fracking area. So things about um, I think economic life and and starting over were really popular topics. Yeah, and also just to say that actually very early on, as we were um, you know w when we got the access and we're trying to actually put the shoots together, uh, we all sat down and talked, and you know none of us had really had a lot of experience on these long-distance trains. Albert, of course, had had a lifetime on them, and was, this was really a project that was really close to him. And I think we were all a little bit nervous at first because, uh, you know, Albert always wanted us to just get on a train and meet people and completely roll the dice and, uh, you know, just sort of see what we get. And, you know, we talked for a bit about maybe linking up with Amtrak and uh, almost like casting people who we knew would be traveling. It's not like we would get them to go on the train, but that we would strategically ride on trains with specific riders who we knew were going somewhere or doing something significant. But Albert was completely against that idea. And he said, look, just trust in the trains, trust in your subjects, and beautiful things will happen. And that's really what we did. We just got on the train and started meeting people. 
Now, Lynn, you mentioned before there were some pieces involving Antrak's collaboration with you that had to fall into place. Can you elaborate a little bit on that about that? Because what we're watching, the train in question is the Empire Builder, which is this major line that carries hundreds of people north and west every day. Yeah, the Empire Builder line is the most frequented uh, long-distance route in the Amtrak fleet. And um, so there are, every day there are at least four Empire Builders uh, on track simultaneously running east and west. Um, so they're carrying hundreds of passengers every day through areas of the country, especially during the wintertime, that have very limited public transportation. The train ends up being pretty much the only form of mass public transportation through a lot of these parts of North Dakota and Montana in the really cold winter months. So that was a big reason why we chose that line. You know, we had uh, researched a few others to consider. Um, so working with Amtrak was really about um, us being in touch with them and explaining what the idea was and trying to build trust and confidence in the project, um, knowing that in Albert's style of shooting, we really wanted free access. We wanted free reign. We didn't want to necessarily have to have a handler with us. We wanted to be able to approach people very naturally and really capture the culture of the train, you know, as is, without, you know, too much. We didn't want to, in, you know, um, you know, be any kind of uh, obstruction to the passengers themselves and um, interfere with anything that was already taking place. So it was. Um, ultimately just conversations over a few months to convince Amtrak of what we were doing and for them to pretty much sign off on letting us have access to uh, the trains with our crew, which we tried to keep small, but um, at the same time we were running four to six cameras at any given time uh, during the tr each trip at the same yeah. time. And Amtrak was actually really, really great to work with. Um, they when we first got on the train, they actually gave us a minder to just sort of make sure that we weren't doing anything, um, that we weren't interfering with the, the passengers. And then uh, pretty quickly, uh, the minder just kind of dropped away and we were uh, allowed to go anywhere and speak to anyone that we wanted. And I think, you know, they saw in Albert and saw in our crew uh, sensitivity toward the passengers and a sensitivity actually toward even the broader culture of train travel, um, you know, just sort of you know, we, we thought a lot about and how we were uh, negotiating all of the different places on the train, the sleeper cars, the dining car, the uh, coach, uh, the observation car, because all of them have very different feels and very different, almost like um, unspoken rules about privacy and interaction. And those were things that we were very sensitive to. Now, as much as there's sort of an egalitarian quality to this story, I mean, it's very diverse, and we hear all these different kinds of personalities talking about their lives. It does feel very much like a curated experience. In other words, I was never bored by anyone I was hearing from, which made me wonder if you ever encountered such people, or did you just strike gold every time out? And also, you know, when you knew you had something good, how did you sort of develop that relationship? Because there are people who come back to us over the course of the movie. I feel like Lynn can speak to the uh, <laughs> amount of Well, stories. the first part of your question, yes, we absolutely tried to choose the most compelling stories to include in the film. Um, but that said, not every interaction was that interesting or necessarily as ripe for being a scene in the film. So, you know, we shot um, over 400 hours um, all said and done. And in the film, you know, as you've seen, the film is made up of, you know, fragments of conversations and brief informal interviews. So if you just multiply that, you know, X amount, it's, it, there was a ton of footage that uh, we didn't really find usable. <laughs> but, I mean, in terms of the, the interactions we did use, I mean, the guys really did a great job uh, embedding with these people and engaging with them in, 
in very different ways. I mean, they all have very different styles, I think. Cause I, I watched all their footage so I could tell who was shooting what. Um, and I think that was really helpful, actually, to have these different personalities approaching different people and working with Martha Wallner, our story producer, who was a, the woman who was kind of walking up and down the train and just finding and meeting new people to introduce to the camera guys. Uh, and she would sort of feel out the personalities of the subjects. And I think she started actually picking and choosing more deliberately which camera operator she was going to hand characters off to. But you guys can talk more about. I mean, I think generally, um, because we all shot dozens and dozens of interviews, when you got a good one, you, you, you felt like you got a live one. Like you really wanted to like hang on to that person and uh, continue to spend time with them. And one of the advantages to the train is they can't go anywhere. So, you know, they were sort of a captive subject. And, and I think they enjoyed the diversion of us talking to them and getting to know them. And uh, I think for us, at least for me, you know, when I zeroed in on someone that I found really interesting, I was just, I was really, really excited and I, I could feel it, you know. I think one of the other advantages to having a, a crew the size that we did is that when we did hone in on a character, subject that was really interesting, it seemed like just about every night on the train we'd get together and sort of share notes and make mention of the people we had met and hone and decide on some of those people that we did want to stay with. And we could rotate a little bit. And since we do have personalities, there were different entrance points into the relationship with them. And I think you see some of that in the film as well. So speaking of which, we have some clips. So why don't we take a look at one of them from one of the many encounters that we see in the film. I haven't seen anyone in a really long time. I moved to the South Hill and I don't really see anyone. How do you think it's going to be? Yeah, I'm just home. So, three whole weeks. Yeah, what do you think of that? I'm excited. I, the closer I get, the better it seems. Were all your friends really excited to be going home? They're really excited to be done with finals. That was the main thing. It's nice to have a clean slate. It's nice to have just endless possibilities. You know? Yeah, it really feels like it. I've never felt like I've had so many endless possibilities. Really? Yeah. What's your dream now that I'm gone? <laughs> really, I do think about that. Just hoping that you would have a not just a career, but a, a family and relationships. <laughs> I would wish for you more kids and companionship and all that stuff. I wish companionship for you too, because <laughs> I get worried when I'm not around. I know you do, I know you do. Socialize, mother, because it's just the two of us. Yeah, yeah, that's probably the burden of that situation. I mean, on one hand, we're really close. And on the other hand, <laughs> there's just two of there's us. There's just two of us looking out for each other. So that's a, a really good example of sort of the, the intimacy of these encounters that really are sort of like the core of the movie. I mean, nothing really feels superfluous. But at the same time, you know, it's, it's almost, it's, while not being invasive, it certainly feels closer than I think a lot of people might expect to get to these subjects. And it's something that you can find in the Maisel's brothers' work, going back to Grey Gardens and salesmen, you know, sort of people who are longing for something beyond their immediate surroundings. But 
you tend to forget that the camera's there. So what was it like for you guys, you know, you were talking before about having a live one, being on the other side of the camera when you are capturing people at very fragile moments. I mean, did you ever feel uncomfortable being a, somehow a part of that situation? I think, I think the train's a special space and it's almost timeless in itself. You know, you, you have to let go of, of time. And uh, so we, I think we took great advantage of the fact that people were more reflective. Um, you could see that in this particular scene. They're looking and reflecting on their lives. And uh, it made, I think it was just, it was easy for us to slip into that, that space um, because people were already there. It's not like we had to hold their hands. It wasn't walking up and down Prince Street in New York City. We're on a train passing through the countryside in the middle of the winter and people are just pondering their lives and that's what this movie's made of are those, those sort of stories and, and yeah. As, as the shooter of that yeah, scene. Ben shot that scene. Scene. Yeah, Ben oh, yeah. I mean, I think another thing that we talked about before was um, time and, and being able to spend time with those people too. Like with, with that um, mother and daughter, I, I just kind of sat there and I t chatted with them for a while and then, you know, minutes would roll by and then I would stop talking to let them talk and just being able to warm people up to your presence and make them feel comfortable with you around that's it's a really beautiful um, opportunity to be able to do that and that's what almost every single interview was very very rarely was it like a rush was it trying to get someone really quickly most of the time it was you were able to kind of marinate with them and let them get comfortable with you and vice versa and oftentimes you wouldn't even raise the camera until maybe an hour had passed and then by that point you know you're on good terms or friendly with them and, and they feel very comfortable with you. So it was really nice to have that time. Yeah, th yeah, there was a real sharing process that took place between, I think, all the members of our crew, not just the camera people, but even, um, you know, like Sophie, who was also a story producer and, uh, and Martha, we all were, you know, we were passengers ourselves and sharing with them in that space, talking about not just what we were doing with the film, but also what was going on in our lives. And, and I think that helped just uh, kind of create what Albert would say is common ground uh, you know, for the, these types of interactions to take place. Well, we have another clip you know, to offer some, something of a different example of the sort of encounters in the movies just so you can see some of the variety in place. So why don't we roll that? Do you think that your children can believe in you? Um, no, my son and my daughters, they will. They will, they will believe. Um, Why will they believe in you? Because they know that I'm their father. No, not necessarily just because you're their father. There are a whole lot of fathers, but the children don't believe in They must see in you the integrity to keep going even in the face of obstacles and struggles and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and you will strengthen yourself by your willingness and capacity to share this with others, whether they may hear you or not. Excuse me. Yeah. Hey, man, I can't believe it because I'm, I'm sitting with an elder who uh, met Martin Luther King. Yeah. Yeah, no, this, this, this is a beautiful experience for me. And we come back and we see the, those characters sort of in dialogue throughout the film, so it's, it's really interesting to watch sort of these miniature relationships develop over the running time. 
Now, when you were capturing this sort of stuff, was, what was your sort of process of figuring out what, what you really wanted to hold on to? Because, you know, what you could see in that clip there is there are certain cutaways to different people on the train and so forth. So it feels like you're really leading us through this world. And with 400 hours, when you touched on this a little bit before, but I could see many different good versions of this movie being put together. I mean, how long did it take to get to something close to a final cut? Um, we edited it intensively, I would say, for a good six months, and that was like 100-hour weeks, six months. And then uh, we had a rough cut, and then we were tweaking for probably additional four to five months, um, all said and done. But yeah, so I mean, these two clips are good examples. So the mother and daughter scene is actually one that I think was like maybe possibly the very first scene that I cut, maybe the first or second. It was from the very first trip, and it really encapsulated exactly what at least in my mind, I thought we were going for just sort of that mother and daughter, you know, I think Martha found them first or maybe mm -hmm. yeah, them. Yeah. but I mean, they were already in that position, you know, they were already had this, they were leaning back and they were just, you know, seeing each other for the first time after the daughter's first semester at college. So it was, again, capturing people already mid conversation and already having their uh, intimate, you know, back and forth as regular people and us just hopefully being able to um, kind of wiggle in and, and sort of capture that moment naturally taking place. Um, and so that was uh, a really easy scene to cut. Ben shot that and I think he, he only shot maybe 30 minutes. It wasn't a lot of material. Right. And that's, you know, maybe a two minute scene of them. And then Calvin and then Dwight, the two gentlemen we just watched, Ben also shot that. And But I think he shot like five or six hours of them. There was a really long yeah. conversation with them because they just would not stop talking. And so that took a lot longer to hone and get down to the couple of instances you see in the film. Um, so basically, you know, we cut a lot of rough versions of a lot of characters, and then we were just kind of puzzle piecing them together over the course of these many months and finding a structure that made sense. Yeah. I think it's also just important, or one thing that's uh, maybe interesting to people is that it was very, uh, what made particular uh, interactions or people work in the film, um, you know, it took a very specific tone. So oftentimes we would have people where there was fantastic content and they were amazing individuals, but the way that they were engaging with the camera was, uh, just didn't quite fit the atmosphere that we were creating. You know, I think a lot of people, when they see somebody coming in with a camera, they think that we're either doing reportage or doing, we're shooting like a reality TV show. And so some people would almost be too performative and you know, just what we were getting didn't feel real. And in other instances, people might have a great story, but they were just sort of, they're just giving us the facts and giving us the information. So you know, it was a very delicate uh, set of factors that determined what uh, characters made it into the film. And there are a lot of amazing individuals that you know, aren't there, and it's not because their stories aren't fantastic. We have some that are even, you know, more sensational than what you see here. Um, but it's because the tone wasn't, just wasn't quite there. Right. Well, before we open it up to audience Q&A, we should talk a little bit more about the one director not sitting with us, uh, because it, it really does feel like a Maisel's film from the very first scene, and yet hearing you all talk, clearly there's, there was this tremendous amount of collaboration here. So how much was this Albert's movie, or how, how did you guys sort of fold yourselves into that equation? Well, I mean, I think Albert's vision for the film was so clear, and it was such a beautiful one, and one that we all really related to, and I think it was an idea that, you know, we've talked about it, it was an idea for a project that 
you know, in our own right, we all would have liked to have made, even on our own, with or without Albert. So it's something that I think we could all feel personally invested in ourselves as individual filmmakers. So I think his idea was such an inspiration that allowed us to creatively contribute, you know, autonomously and also knowing that we are contributing to his larger vision of a film. So I think that was the most important thing because that was able to color all of the activity on the train, all of the editorial decisions. Um, so, you know, whether or not he was, uh, you know, with, you know, the guy, Albert was on two of the three shoots. So, but even when he wasn't on the last one, again, his presence was, I think, really um, deeply felt. And, you know, you know, it was just never Albert's style to work closely in the editing room, in my understanding, ever on any of his films. It just He was so much more concentrated on the shooting process. But again, he was so clear about what he wanted and what he was looking for and the kinds of stories and interactions that um, interested him that I think we were always really uh, beautifully on the same page. And, you know, we'd show him rough cuts every few weeks and every time, you know, he would be very succinct and clear about what he was responding to and what he felt was, was not working. And so... Um, and when did he see the final version? He saw it actually a few days before he passed away. And it was... Uh, uh, Erica, our producer, uh, brought him the film, uh, brought the film to his home. And uh, at that point, he was actually... He was very weak. And uh, he wasn't... He was sleeping a lot and just wasn't... Uh, yeah, he was sleeping a lot. And uh, Erica was debating whether or not to show him the film because we weren't sure whether he would uh, be actually be able to watch it. And uh, you know, they sort of put the computer right in front of him, and uh, he sat there and watched the entire film. And at the at the end, said, "This is good." And uh, yeah, and and then uh, yeah, it was actually literally you know I think like five five days or so before he passed away. Um, so yeah, it was a really both difficult but also. Um, you know, touching an important moment for us. It's a great opportunity also to uh, remind people that even when he's not around, the movies are still very much with us. And that same week, actually, there was a restoration of Grey Gardens that opened in New York. So the Maisel's legacy is all over the place. So let's uh, open it up to uh, q and I'm sure there's plenty of questions in the audience. How many trips total did you guys take on the train? It's three three yeah, trips total. Three shooting trips. And, yeah, and then the exteriors. Right. So then we did three trips and each leg. It, the Empire Builder goes from Chicago to Seattle and Portland. It splinters off in Washington. In Spokane. Yeah. Spokane, yeah. And so we did three round trips of that. And then we did a road trip um, where we followed the exact path of the train um, from Chicago to Seattle and Portland. To get and we, the exteriors. To get la shots. landscape shots and exteriors. That was about, was that two weeks of shooting? or Two weeks. Two weeks of shooting. Two long, dirty weeks of shooting. Because <laughs> the train is never on time, so they were out in the fields, like just with a camera waiting for hours. Yeah, what yeah. was the, you were saying that the other day, what was the two trains? There's two we'd trains be, a day. Be, yeah, we'd be in one place waiting. Yeah, it's a, the train only passes through each station uh, once per day in either direction. So we could only, at, at best, we could get two shots a day of these trains passing through uh, the various stations and landscapes. So we would drive to a place, kind of figure out where we wanted to be, set up, wait for it. And on average, actually, this train is uh, two hours late going, um, I think, eastward, and then something like seven hours late going in the other direction. So there was a lot of waiting involved. <laughs> um, so at the point when you showed it to Albert, was it pretty much done? It was done. That was the final cut, yeah. Okay, so... Um, 
Did you find that, uh, you know, I've traveled on buses long distance. It's a little different with the bus, but not that much different. Um, were there certain thematic things that you've noticed about the people, like, in, and, and in your own minds, did you group them, or did you find yourselves going for certain people because you kind of got an idea of certain themes? It, you know, the trip can shape you, or you can shape the trip, so... I'm kind of curious to know where you, how it flowed, and maybe it changed from the beginning to when you later on were much more, you know, stalwarts of the train. We very intentionally chose that Empire Builder line. We scouted some of the other ones, uh, rode the city of New Orleans. There's another trip that goes from Chicago down to Oakland called the California Zephyr. And we just found that one, to the Empire Builder in particular, to be the most interesting because um, they were, it's not a tourist line. And we, also happened to travel along that line in the dead of winter. So the people that were riding that train were riding that train to get from a particular point to another point. And so the stories were very real. Um, and that's what we were looking for from, from the beginning. Yeah. And, and also, we, you know, uh, I think it helped that there were so many different shooters because we all had different sensibilities and could, could connect with different, different types of people. So. In a way, you know, sometimes we would see somebody who was interesting, sometimes the people would, would come to us. And, you know, we weren't necessarily, uh, you know, looking for riders that fit a specific profile or something like that. Uh, we just wanted to sort of find people who were interesting and engaging and had a story to tell. And I think, you know, there is something about trains where, uh, you know, it's a, you're in a space where you're either leaving from somewhere or going somewhere, and in that is a story. And uh, you know, sort of, so everybody on the train had a story, and it was really up to us to see how we could access that. And I don't think we were ever looking for particular themes. We just let the stories come to us and let the train shape us in the shooting. But it was in the edit where we started really, and Lynn res was responsible for the edit, um, was really looking for the themes and interweaving the different themes together beautifully. What kind of equipment did you use that wouldn't scare people? Was there a lot of lighting? Did you use mostly natural light or? No lights. No yeah. lights, okay. We, we, it was a really small footprint. That's a good question logistically. Like we definitely wanted to keep it really lean and mean. We did our, all our own audio. So we didn't have an audio person with us with a boom mic or anything like that. Um, the cameras were quite small. Um, and we just sort of were all our, like each other's, we were each one man band operating independently of each other. Um, so it, it was just a single person. And that was really important to us, to not intimidate and not have big cameras or a lot of gear. Just keep it really minimal, yeah. Especially in the nighttime scenes, you'd have other people sleeping. Right, and this guy would be roaming around <laughs> through the wee hours of night. Yeah, being, yeah so Nelson didn't suspicious sleep. character, so yeah. that's why we really had to keep it small. But, but, but I'll say that we were, we were actually, you know, we, particularly to people, you know, when you're sleeping, there's almost like no more vulnerable state than that. And, what we would do, because we knew that we needed to capture people who were sleeping, and it's, you know, to be honest, it's kind of creepy if you just like roll up on somebody and start filming them when they're asleep. So we would, uh, we would actually uh, talk to passengers uh, in the evening time as they were going to bed and get uh, consent. We said, we might film you, we might not, um, but, you know, can we, can we capture you sleeping? And so we would pre-release people uh, to get them, to get them, to be able to capture them sleeping. That's right. Uh, two things. Uh, the equipment that you used, wh what specifically did you use? Uh, we used, uh, and, and actually, even the, we used uh, three different types of cameras. 
Uh, one was a Canon XF100. The other was a Sony PMW200. And the third was a Canon C300. And uh, we ended up, uh, actually, uh, the, the Canon cameras we found to be very good in low light. And so we shifted more to that toward the end of the shoot because we found we, we had a little bit more latitude in darker situations. Are they relatively small? They're, they're, they are relatively small. The, um, you know, the, I mean, probably something like this, you know. You I mean, it's not yet, yeah, there aren't the mini podcast. cameras, but yeah. <laughs> the size oh, yeah. of your oh, hand. It's a podcast, so. <laughs> yeah, the size of a bread box. Not like a GoPro <laughs> on your head. And... No, no. They weren't the we big imposing broadcast cameras that you would have over your shoulder. They were much smaller. And the other question, um, you said that Albert made uh, two of these trips. Were his subjects uh, and his uh, style uh, different than, than what uh, you all were doing? I think we were all like I think we were all channeling him in our shooting and and really thinking about I mean at least when I was personally was shooting and I don't know about Ben and David um, you know I think that I was I was really almost like trying to put myself in Albert's head and think about what he would be attentive to and what he would be uh, looking for and I think you know you do see differences in the footage um, across the trip it is you know we all have slightly different shooting styles um, but in a way they they complement each other and I think at the core we we were really you know, uh, in the same way Albert does, always looking for either that human interaction or really trying to understand what was on people's hearts and minds. And in the movie, does the photographer uh, appear or can you identify who, you know, the voices or do you see the photographers at all? No, that's something that, um, you know, get, just given the fact that there were so many photographers, uh, you know, it, very early on in the process, we, we considered more closely uh, kind of aligning the film with Albert's personality, even maybe including him as a character in the film. Um, and, you know, with so many different cameras, uh, we, as, we, as we started just working through the edit, um, it just became very clear that kind of keeping the, uh, at least the, the voice of the camera person out of the, uh, out of the edit was, was the better choice. And one last thing, how many days is the trip? It's two and a half. Two, two and, and a half, half each way. Each way, so it was, uh, yeah, So five you had a good two. chance to come back to people. Yep. Thank you. Did you guys get uh, different kinds of stories, a different sense of things going east to west versus going west to east? Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah, we did. That's a great question. Yeah. And might be I'm a, trying to remember. Yeah. I can't remember. No, I, I, I actually say that we, we definitely did. Um, the questions, uh, the from going from, uh, say, uh, from east to west, uh, you definitely got mo um, the types of stories were more, there were a lot of younger people who were going out to the Portland or Seattle area to start light, to kind of start a new life, uh, pick up and, and kind of do newer things. And, um, you know, we definitely noticed that whether east or west, in particular parts of the line, there were kind of common stories. So, for example, in the center, um, of the country in North Dakota, a lot of the people, regardless of which direction they were going in, were associated with, uh, with the oil and fracking uh, in North Dakota. Um, and so you would see sort of almost like common themes regionally uh, going through different areas. Um, this question is for Lynn specifically. Uh, as I heard one of uh, the panelists mention that 
you were kind of the one that weaved in all the stories together. Intuitive, it sounded like there was a lot of intuition in the unfoldment of how you weaved it in. What guided you and how did the process take place? And then the second question is for all of you, oh, not for all of you, but actually how did you go about um, introducing what you guys were doing to the passengers to make sure that they were comfortable during the ride? Great questions. Lynn, you want to start with that? Start first. with the second yeah. one. Well, yeah, so we had, um, we had a host of other crew members with us. Um, we had some story producers. One of the story producers is here, Sophie. And we also had a woman named Martha Wollner, who was a, uh, both a story producer and a casting director and had worked with Albert for years, since the 80s. And so she did a great job of sweeping through the train before anyone felt our presence with the cameras. And we just had little leaflets, um, a note from Albert describing his vision for the film. And uh, yeah, so she would just go row by row by row and introduce herself and the project to people and get a sense for whether they were open to uh, being filmed and participating in it. So the movie does not have distribution yet, is that correct? Uh, theatrical no, not yet. So if there was ever a reason to go see a really great movie at a film festival, that's number one. It's, it's really a terrific send-off to the legacy, and I highly recommend people check it out and spread the word, because movies like this need this kind of support. So thanks for being here. Thanks for sticking around. Thanks, guys. <laughs>